Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. I got my comfy chair. I got a sweet baby Jesus. Let's do this. Hi, guys. It's Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives. I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daily Knives. And this is The Knife Perspective, episode number 030, Underrated Tools. How you doing this night, Kyle? Doing pretty good. I've been, uh, I'm on a business trip and uh, recording live from Marysville, Ohio. I'm in my hotel room, brought our podcasting stuff got my uh hand sanding knife stuff so we're all all good to go with the the covid there's not really anything anything fun even if there there wasn't covid there's not a whole lot to do here other than uh what what this trip you're not being all swank swanky in your tugs drinking martinis down in the hotel bar and unfortunately a life of engineer isn't like the life of james bond so uh <laughs> my mistake no just uh, going to the, going to the test track and then coming back here. So, uh, doing some testing here and, uh, got three, three knives to, to sand up, which isn't a ton, but, uh, at least it'll keep me a little busy from going crazy. That's a lot to do outside of the shop. Yeah. But I did have a, have a good, uh, good thing on the way I got off the interstate was looking for dinner and, uh, I ran across one of the places that I hadn't eaten since I was like in high school, Long John Silvers. Oh. It got some, got some fish, got some, got some chicken, fried chicken uh, pieces and uh, some hush puppies and coleslaw. And yeah, for whatever reason, they were out of French fries, which was a bummer, but how did that happen? Was like the machine broken or something? Yeah. I, I'm not exactly sure you would think, but uh yeah, so but it was good. Brought back a lot of memories. I ended up calling one of my old buddies from high school, so that was kind of fun talking to him for a little bit while we, while I ate. But how are you doing over there? You got how, made it through the hurricane, I think. I have. I you know the downside is I'm like three and a half hours from the coast. The upside is I'm like three and a half hours from the coast. Mm. So uh, we rode things out. We're good to go. Um, okay, I'll go down. Uh, I'll go down in a day or two and check and make sure that the the fish camp still stands. But we look uh, we look like we're going to be good. Good. I'm glad uh, glad everything went through all right. How's the knife making stuff going? Are you doing anything anything there? You know, I, I I'm actually covered up. Um, I was bummed that the blade show is canceled because I don't get to see people. There's, there's some guys that I get to see once a year. It's at blade show. And I really look forward to that, but man, I have been so covered up. I was going to have like maybe 10 knives in the booth. So it, it, it's been a little bit of a mixed blessing. It, it, it gave me a little bit of a room to breathe and, and get some orders out. Yeah. Cool. 
Yeah, I've, I've, for whatever reason, a lot of people have been ordering a bunch of stuff for me too. So, uh, been been pretty busy. So, it's good stuff to good problem to have, but uh, it's still just, a problem. Yeah, it's not enough hours in the day. I wish there were more. But uh, we got our sponsors for the podcast: Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives for all your knife needs. And you can find Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives at Old Town Cutlery. And you can also find Dogwood Custom Knives at Knife Center, Knife House, and The Cook Station. Uh, look for the link, the new link in the, the dealer section of the, the show notes. You want to talk a little bit about The Cook Station, Dan? Uh, I really enjoyed working with them. Um, one of the chefs that I have worked with locally to, to help work on some design concepts started with them. They are a restaurant supply and and kitchen supply store in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and they really wanted to kind of, they wanted to kind of take things to the next level. And I've been really flattered that I'm, I'm one of the makers that they've, they've taken on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a phenomenal store. They've got an online presence as well, but the, it really, even if you're within an hour, it is worth coming down to check them out. Uh, they also do some really phenomenal cooking classes, uh, both um, like outdoor grilling and indoor cooking. Okay. Uh, and it's it's like it's like William Sonoma without all the pretentiousness, like just what works, hmm. combined with a restaurant, combined with a a, a culinary school. Nice. That's pretty cool. You you have a you have a name for that chef that you were working with? Some listeners uh, of the podcast might actually uh, recognize the name. Uh, Craig Coons. Yeah. Oh wait, we had him on. He's like like six episodes ago. Go check him out. Fascinating yeah. individual. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty interesting show. Uh, it's really cool getting to talk to him about how he uses culinary knives. Uh, and he actually he gave me a great. Um, tutorial on using a walk over an open campfire huh. to the point that I went down to, uh, we've got this great place, Asian Pacific, that is both a restaurant and a, an Asian grocery. And I had to run down. This is the sweet thing. They've got like $25 walks okay. and it's been great because you get a good bed of coals going and then you just settle that that kind of cone shape of the walk down into those coals, and it's really even heat all the way across the rock walk, but the coals just keep it level. Okay, uh, which has been really handy. So I have been doing a lot of heavily Asian influenced cooking for around the campfire now. Was that the you were making like some pho or some sort of like soup and stuff, weren't you, with some chanterelles and? different stuff the other the other day yeah it, it was somewhere between ramen and pho it was kind of an influence by both and was influenced by for example i thought i had pulled a couple of duck breasts out of the freezers but they wound up being uh pheasant and while we we're out hiking we found some some apricot chanterelles so it was apricot chanterelles green onions um portobello's um, obviously, uh, sprouts, noodles, uh, some, a uh, couple of different broths, 
uh, and then the the pheasant. That's cool. Uh, I I, I kind of regret that I didn't have a boiled egg to add to it, but it it, it came out pretty nice. Yeah, you always got next time. <laughs> this is true. The the one thing you can count on me is it'll be ne- better next time. Yeah. Nice. So uh, for shout outs, uh, one of the the people that's been on the podcast, Dr. Laren Thomas, uh, he uh, mentioned about his book and it is now out on Amazon. He uh, it's called knife engineering. Uh, when I type in knife engineering into the search in Amazon, it doesn't really come up very quickly. Uh, but if you search uh, Laren Thomas, uh, it comes up like right away. So search Laren Thomas. We'll also have a link in the, the show notes. Uh, if you want to look there, uh, I've haven't had a chance to read it very much, but um, I know Dan got his copy too. I've got my copy and now I just have to figure out how I can get the doctor to sign it. So hopefully you can get him. Ooh, that is a good point. Get that to happen. Cause I, uh, I don't know if we've talked about it before, but I, I struggle with reading. That's that I'm my, I'm, I'm pretty severely dyslexic. So reading is a little bit of a challenge for me. So I'm, I'm working my way through it. And if you are thinking of, if you think you want to make knives, you need to get this book. If you're making knives, you need to get this book. Mm-hmm. It's in the few chapters I've made it through already. The, the information that I have spent the last 10 years running down and having to wade through you know, an entire book to get those couple of nuggets that apply to knife making and kind of pull them together. This book has all of those random little pieces of information from other industries that apply to knife making in one source. Yep. Um, and I'm just skimming some of the metallurgy and the heat treating. There is a lot there that I have wondered about that, you know, I touched on it. Yeah. You know, I wound up with a text about heat treating engine blocks and out of 15 chapters two applied to knife making. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of random bits of information that I, I got the shape of it, but I didn't really know it that he touches on in this book. So I'm, I, I have fully drank the Kool-Aid on it. Yeah. I, I've just perused it a little bit and it looks, looks really good. Uh, I've been, I've been, uh, it's definitely the the best resource I think for uh, metallurgy for dives. Um, and I love that he touched on. It's just it's not just the steel, it's not just the heat treat, but also the geometry. So he talks about the. I don't think he uses the term three pillars or anything that poetic, but he talks about you know they're each equally important the the blade geometry the steel selection and the, the heat treat and then goes into the why. Yeah. Yeah. He did a, I think he did a really nice job. It's uh really good. So you got your next, uh, next one there. Fleming wood supplies. I think he's been doing knife handle materials for a couple of years. I found out about him last year. He's out of Athens, Georgia, and his materials have been con- consistently high quality and I don't know where he's getting his wood, but he has he has excellent knowledge because the way he cuts it, he makes the most out of the grain mm-hmm. and he gets some really beautiful grain 
that is just accented by the way he dyes it and has it stabilized. As far as I know, he is only on Instagram right now, but I have been very impressed with his his materials and his consistency. Nice. To, if you don't know him, check him out. Along with Handle Material, we've got the the Handle Material Collective. Uh, one of the guys, Chad Kimmel of Summit and or Summit underscore and underscore C underscore Smithing, uh, he helped uh, with. Uh, there's a bunch of other uh, wood uh, guys and uh, handle making guys that got together. They started this handle making or handle material collective. So there's him, uh, Forrester Woods, uh, Van Luke Knifeworks. Rock, sco- rock solid scales, more burls, more swirls. Uh, Ray Ray Dizen Woodshop, CTJ Blades, Flying Shark Knives, and uh, underscore King underscore and underscore Queen underscore Woods. Um, so uh, check those guys out. I'm not sure if I'll have all those links to Instagram, uh, but I'll I'll try to. I'll probably probably have it in there. So. You've got nothing else to do but eat at Long John Silver's and work on this. Yep, <laughs> for sure. And our our last our last shout out. Uh, this one this one seems uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, it is not associated to knives whatsoever. But you can't see some stuff like this and not talk about it. Um, I I know this feels like it's going to skirt our no politics policy, but just just hear me out. The Trump black bear in Asheville. So there is a black bear running around Asheville that has a Trump 2020 sticker stuck on its radio transceiver collar. Now, we can remove the politics from this. I don't care what the sticker says, but I want to meet the individual that was able to put a sticker on the transceiver collar of a black bear. Yeah. That's pretty that's pretty crazy. Asheville is pretty worked up about it. The link right now is uh there's a group that I right now I think it's a five thousand dollar bounty on finding out who this person is because they're a little upset that they put a sticker on the, the collar of a bear. Or maybe the wrong sticker. I don't know. I'm not getting into that. I am down for finding this individual. Not a drink. Not two drinks. I want to buy that individual a bottle. I want to buy them a bottle. I want to sit down with them and I want to hear the story from, hey, I think it'll be a good idea to put the sticker on a collar of a bear to actually executing putting the sticker on a bear. So one of the things that I was thinking about at this story, the how they how they find the sticker. Like that I don't just like randomly go to trying to find black bears and see look at their transducer collars um so black bears especially in the Asheville area tend to bump up against um human domiciles pretty com- pretty frequently okay and as i understand it uh the bear was caught on camera and the sticker stood out as an oddity and when they zoomed in to figure out on the images to figure out what that was they realized that it was a, a Trump 2020 campaign sticker. Wow. All righty. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to know the whole story. I want to know from concept to execution, how that happened. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. 
So Kyle's big story. You've you've been keeping it a secret. You wouldn't yeah. share it with me. Yeah. Everybody, the rest of y'all, you're hearing about this at the same time I am. Yeah, this is this is live. I I, I saved it all for the podcast. There's only Kyle coming out. Let's hear it. There's only like three or four people that have actually heard this story up until now. So uh so uh back in the if you listen back to episode one. You'll remember me talking about the first the first knife that I ever had and went on a fishing trip with one of my buddies and uh we lost it next to the the lake and uh we uh we spent days looking for it, walking back and forth and stuff. Uh so holding hand, walking into the sunset. Yeah, so we were we were looking we were looking for this thing for forever. I lost it like in middle school. And uh so yeah, we were so that happened. I've had uh, had a couple different tackle boxes uh, since then, two to be exact. And uh, so for Father's Day this year, I I asked my wife, um, I'd like to have a new tackle box for my Father's Day gift. So went with uh, one of my boys to Bass Pro Shops, which apparently everyone has decided to go fishing um, <laughs> in the entire oh, Chicago. Now, yeah, in the entire Chicagoland area. Uh, the Bass Pro Shops was almost a void of everything fishing related, uh, but uh, I managed to find a new tackle box. And uh, so I'm going through, um, I stayed or stayed up late um, before we, we were going on this fishing trip. We went uh, fishing in Green Bay, went walleye fishing. Uh, one of the things that I did, my uncle Jim, that actually gave me the, that pocket knife when I was little, we went... Uh, we went walleye fishing with him all the time on Lake Erie. But uh, so I'm like, I open up uh, one of the tackle trays in in my tackle box. Remind you, this is two tackle boxes I've had since. So it's not like uh, it kind of fell into the corner or whatever. So I open the tray, one that I there at the top top tray that I use like literally all the time. And uh, out of the ether of the universe, guess what was there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's getting edited out, isn't it? <laughs> uh, probably. I'll probably uh, probably bleep it or something. But so so what, out of, so out of your old tackle box. So the one that's used for years. So no, so the the one the one I was using when I lost it, I had yeah. two different tackle boxes from then. Okay, and, that I had to take everything out of, put it in the new one. Take everything out of, put it in the new one, and uh, I open up the tackle tray, and there is my original uh, Swiss Army fisherman knife. It fell out of whatever black hole sucked it up. And put it in something, or put it right there in my tackle box. Were you smoking a lot of weed back then? I've never, I've never smoked the smoked any weed. Uh, no devil's lettuce, no, no left-handed cigarettes. No, no. any anybody that knows me knows uh, about alcohol is about the the worst that gets for me. But uh, yeah, yeah, I could, I literally couldn't believe it. Um, yeah. So- I, I- I'm at a loss for words. Yeah. So uh, Dan was saying how he found his uh, his uh, 
Barlow knife, uh, or his mom found his Barlow knife many years later. Uh, apparently mine, uh, went into a black hole and came out, uh, 20 years later or 22 years later in my tackle box, uh, right before with a white stallion logo logo on it. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a serpent that's on the, the Swiss army fisherman, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so I got my yeah. the first knife I ever ever had. Now that's freaking awesome, man! Yeah, I was uh, super excited about it. I I could I was at a loss for words. So that was that's my big story. Uh, they held off for Dan. I knew Dan would would get a kick out of it, and uh, and that reaches all the way down to the subcarcal region of my heart. Yeah, that that is really awesome. Yeah, so now I have I actually have two Swiss Army fishermen because uh if you remember back in episode 1 uh when we were in Germany, uh, I actually found a Swiss Army store that had one left in stock uh for this model that I haven't seen be made for a really long time. And uh so now I got two of them and uh maybe eventually one day it'll be be the boys first knife. I was about to say two boys, two knives. Yeah. That's not a coincidence. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Aaron, my older one, he's he's really into the knife stuff. He he always looks at him and is like, woo, woo. Uh, <laughs> Luke is still like in his own little world playing with cars, but maybe he'll turn around. They did. Uh, they did. We did get him in the kitchen. Uh, Luke helped uh, chop up some some peanuts and different stuff the other day. And uh, Aaron was helping uh, tear up some lettuce. And uh, they both love uh, love picking out picking stuff from our garden it's been it's been great watching that uh every time we go out to the end of the backyard luke screams at me dad we need to check the zucchini so he's uh super excited about that and aaron loves eating the tomatoes off uh when you have him help pick the tomatoes uh you only get about 25 percent of the tomatoes he picks that actually ended up in the bowl <laughs> but, well, the rest go in the magic black hole yeah, hopefully they don't show up in my tackle box 22 years later. <laughs> By that point, you'll be old as hell and you won't care. You'll be like, oh, a lovely tomato. <laughs> yeah, might be a, might be a little dry by then. But yeah, I I, I had a, I was. Uh, well, once you're a, that old, you won't mind dry. Yeah, I was, uh, I was at a loss for words. And now I've got a new tackle box and uh, new, or my old, old my, very, my very first knife that I ever remember getting. I hope you'll take better care of it this time, young man. Oh, I, I was, I, you have no idea how, how long I had looked for that and thought I'd misplaced it. And, uh, it was bad. <laughs> I was, I was pretty, pretty broken up about, it. I can't believe somehow it fell out of the, the universe back into my, my tackle box. That is bordering on magic. Yeah. Uh, so, yep. Uh, but back to our, our original cool. topics for this entire uh, show. We I put out a thing uh, being in the hotel room. I posted up asking for people to uh, tell us uh, different unsung tools was the the idea for the episode. Try, or things other than your grinder and all the stuff we talk about all the time. What are, what are some of the things that you, uh, you use all the time that um, not everyone might use or might not know about? 
that uh, really make a difference in your your knife making so we've kind of broken them up into some like design tools um kind of a broad category uh some some different chemicals or adhesives uh then i've uh, got a whole tool section and then uh one don't give um, all away let, yeah. let someone be surprised we've got lots of sections if you don't hear the section you're looking for listen a little longer we'll get to it yeah then we got one miscellaneous section but uh there was something that came completely out of at all are you no completely out of left field uh so look forward look forward to you got to listen all the way to the end to figure out what that one is oh see there now you set the hook yeah you just got to wait for it dan some delayed gratification there oh no no no. screw that i want the marshmallow now you can have two later (laughs) all righty so uh the first one came from fox underscore river underscore blades uh he uh he said the industrial Sharpies work really well for him. And then I anteed up and told him about the Milwaukee Inksaw uh, job site, uh, yeah. fine point marker, permanent markers. And Those are like the grease and oil, no matter what's on the blade, it'll still mark kind of pins. Uh, not indefinitely, but definitely for a lot longer than what a Sharpie will. Um, and they also make a, like a fat chisel tip one. And I actually prefer that to using Dykem for laying out the edges for my my blades. Uh, not only is it darker uh, than Dykem being black, um, I just feel like the lines show up a little bit better uh, for doing the edge. But uh, it, for whatever re- reason, if you leave the cap off, it doesn't dry out like uh, really bad. It takes it takes like a week or more for it to dry out uh, with the cap off. Um, that's that's it, how because I'll use markers when I'm doing hand sanding when I change grit to help highlight deeper grit scratches. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it it uh, yeah, it's great. I I really like I really like those Inksall um, brand ones. There'll be a link to Amazon for the the fine point ones. But I use the use that all the time. Uh, I have used the industrial sharpies at work. Uh, those do work really well. Um, we have also at work used the silver Sharpies quite a bit for writing yeah. on black stuff, um, that really, uh, makes it show they're, up and everything. They're pretty heat tolerant too. Yeah. The only problem I have with them is they, um, they're really sensitive to what, if you have them point up or point down, however they're stored, the, the, yep. once you use them for the first time or two after that, it, uh, gets kind of finicky for getting the silver to come out. Yeah. If they're in my apron and I've got it stuck so that I'm using a little clip. So it's point up when I take the cap off, I have to shake it a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you, you're right. The tip will dry out and it's, I don't think it's really dry. It's just that whatever, whatever fluid they use to keep that like silver part suspended, it yeah. doesn't, doesn't like to flow very well. It sinks down to the bottom. Yeah. So it's the osmosis effect is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the, I was trying. That's the most scientific terms I could use tonight. <laughs> All righty. Um, so one of the, the other ones from Armor Cutlery, uh, they uh, he mentioned uh, French curves, squares, triangles, and shape templates. 
those are always great for drawing out all your knives and doing different uh doing different design stuff that's uh that's a great great tip there i know i know you use uh a lot of french curves and stuff when you're designing dan uh you got anything to add to that i do uh two that i would add to that is one we had a little bit of debate before the show because we both have had mechanical drawing classes and turns out we had different names for the same tool. Um, I believe you called it what a, a curve reproducing, a flexible French curve. Uh, yeah. And it is basically a flexible metal strip. Uh, sometimes it's got a rubber cup, rubber coating over it. Mm. Um, so you can bend it to any angle and then reproduce that angle. And I'll use that a lot. And then there is, what we call it a curve reproducer. And I used it in woodworking and it's a series of pins and a little clamp and you can press it onto a curve and lock it down. And then it'll give you both the positive and the negative of that curve that you can trace out. Mm. Um, I use that a lot when I'm doing research on old blade patterns to try and reproduce curves on the blade um, or Sometimes when I'm I'm getting creative and I can't quite draw the the pattern out, I can make the shape in those pins and then reproduce it on the drawing that way. Nice. So uh, OLC underscore knives uh, said uh, uh, notepads and paper are uh, some of his must have unsung things. Uh, he he doesn't take nearly enough notes. He said and he. he Things fall in the, oh, I'll remember this category and that that doesn't work. I have the I have the same problem. I've got, especially for heat treating and stuff, I've got the heat treat sheet printed out. I've got my notes written on it. And then I uh, borrowed my wife's laminator and actually laminated the sheet and have it stuck like right to the, um, it's uh, my heat treat ovens near the refrigerator. So I have it stuck directly to the refrigerator so I can pull it down and uh, double double check the really hot thing is the really cold thing yeah well i mean it's like six feet eight feet away oh okay. it's not like all right that, i was gonna have to give you an engineer smack on the back of the hand for that no it's yeah six feet away is plenty of dead space yeah there's there's at least two trash cans in between okay but it's the one of the one of the closest things that's easily to stick stick a magnet to so I have gotten spoiled. I can program my, my heat treat um, programs. Mm-hmm. I have a program. I just had, I just never remember which uh, program I actually programmed it in. And I always like, no matter what, I always like to click the view and watch it walk yeah. through the steps to make sure that it's doing what I want it to do. My problem is I frequently take notes in Sharpie. Um, I cover all my workbenches or all my work surfaces in old um, uh, bamboo laminate flooring because it was cheap at the time. Okay. Um, and I will t- make a quick note on Sharpie on my workbench. But all of those notes have kind of run together over time now. And sometimes I can't tell which note is the note that I should have tried to remember. Sounds like you need to run a palm sander or something over that. You know, that I could probably just douse it with rubbing alcohol and wipe it down. Yeah. Um, But then I might erase the thing that I was supposed to try and remember. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, 
this is a way off topic though. I when I when I worked in um, <laughs> the first machine shop, uh, he had a salesperson that was uh, one of his buddies that uh, he was trying to help out, and uh, one day I saw a saw a phone number literally written on his palm. And it was like, that's weird. Like, why would you write it on your palm? And uh, the next day when we're working, I hear, I hear him going, what, where did I write that, that number down? I'm looking for this. To, where I had, the, I know I had that number. I don't remember where I wrote it down. And he had written it on his freaking palm and then <laughs> cleaned yeah, it off. The back of your hand where it'll survive one washing. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> but, or, or, or maybe write it in a book or post it note. Any any number of other places. A notebook suddenly sounds like a much better place than my workbench. <laughs> or just have a stack of post it notes and stick it to the wall and pull one off and stick it down. You know, you and your newfangled post it notes. I, I, I don't know about this next generation. They seem weak to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, so that's a good one. Uh, Eric underscore M underscore uh, Severson, I believe, uh, put uh, drafting brushes or paintbrushes um, are really helpful for him. Uh, he gets apparently he's getting a lot of uh, dirt and grit wow. on his finished blades, and he has a bad habit of uh, wiping them with his hand or a rag yeah. or something. So uh, he uses that to kind of brush it off instead of uh, getting it scratched up. That makes sense because you can grind grind something in and get a scratch. Yep. So um, I I usually use my air compressor. I just blow the whole whole thing off, but uh, that's been pretty good. Did I tell you yeah. about my? I don't know if I ever told anybody about on, on the podcast about my my air compressor. Might have to do add that down here to the tool know. section. I have an air compressor. I got a new air compressor. Oh, did you? Yeah. We'll add this down here. You got to keep listening until uh, till we get down here in the bottom of the show notes for compressor. And then you can find out what Kyle does with his air compressor when nobody's looking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so painter's tape uh, from uh, Burn Blades. Mm -hmm. uh, and apparently that's Burn is in the, uh, the poet, B-Y-R-N-E, Blades. Um, he likes it because it protects the surfaces. Uh, especially when he's doing epoxy mixes and that kind of stuff. I'm going to follow up on that with, I have started using the indoor outdoor masking tape. It's like in a plasticized um, uh, painter's tape. Mm -hmm. And for me, it sticks better. Um, I've used two different types and they haven't had, uh, I haven't had a trouble with, with acid being in the, in the adhesive. Um, it's slick on the outside, and I will use it because I get my blades about 90% done, and then I will mask them up to put the handle on. Okay. Uh, so, like, when I'm sticking them in and out of, of knife maker's vices and that kind of things while I shape the handle, I use masking tape to protect the blades. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the indoor-outdoor uh, plasticized uh, masking tape has been phenomenal. It sticks better. I haven't had trouble with it oxidizing the, the steel and being a little slick on the outside um, rather than the, the tape peeling away or tearing, it'll just slip a little bit, mm -hmm. which 
has been beneficial for me. Yeah. Apparently you have a different approach. Yeah. yeah I, I use the electrical tape. You can buy it in uh two inch, three inch, four inch wide or even bigger sizes. Uh, I get, I buy the two inch and three inch electrical tape. Uh, not only do I use it for putting on the, the sides of my blades um, when to keep them um, from getting scratched up and stuff because they're electrical. It doesn't have any acid in there whatsoever. Uh, so it doesn't corrode the, the copper wires and stuff it's originally used for. But uh, one of the other big uses for the electrical tape is, in those wider sizes, I actually cut a notch in there for my electro etch stencils. Um, so instead oh, of instead of having like three pieces around my stencil uh, that you can get electrolyte and stuff through there and actually make a little dot or whatever, uh, it's one whole piece that... Uh, uh, blocks it all off. I cannot tell you the tantrums I've had where it is, it's finished. It's just down to market and it's out of the shop mm-hmm. and I get some leakage or a crack in the stencil and I get that random dot in the middle of the blade. Mm-hmm. Um, I may have thrown things in the shop. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It wouldn't help. Won't really help if you crack your stencil, but uh, definitely will help for leakage around the the outside. So that's a great, great tip. Um, I really like that one. So the Daniel Messina, I believe, is how you say that. <laughs> Daniel Messina, I think, is how you uh, say that. Uh, he he uses Plasta Dip. Uh, it's this. Uh, you can buy it in a can and has a lid um, and it dries out, but it's, it's made for like dipping pliers or uh, different yeah, things in there. Like fire handles and that kind of stuff. Yeah. He actually dips his blade uh, down in there and then pulls it out. And then he, he has really good luck uh, getting that to pull off really That's easily. Um, so he loves using that for uh, after he hand sands for hours. I know I've talked to him on the, the blade spectrum in the, in the chat for, for a long time while we're hand sand and blades, it's been, been fun. So, uh, yeah, plastic dip. That's another, another one for helping to keep your, your blades clean. before you put the handles on. That's a solid idea. I have to look into that. Yeah. So, you know, I like to do like a liner and a handle. Sometimes I'll do three or four layers. And what I use is what I found is when you're clamping up the handles, you want something, underneath what you're clamping up that is rigid and flat. And for a long time, I would get kind of glue that squeezes out when I'm gluing it up and it would put ripples on the surface and it was a pain. So I would get an inexpensive broken box of uh, industrial flooring and put two little legs on that, just pieces of scrap, that stands it up enough so that I can get the spring clamp around to clamp everything down. But to save the cleanup, because you always have glue that runs out when you're clamping stuff up, I will actually take a piece of wax paper and I'll take the whole roll and I'll cut the the entire roll in half. So I get two six inch rolls of, of wax paper and I'll lay a piece of wax paper down on top of that, that flooring that I'm using glue up my handles on top of that. And then when all the glue squeezes out and you have all the mess, you just peel the wax paper off and the surface underneath stays nice and true and flat. Yeah. 
another another good tip that you kind of glossed over there. Uh, how do you cut the wax paper roll? Um, I actually use a hacksaw. A hacksaw? Uh, I use a hacksaw with a really, really fine tooth blade on it. Mm-hmm. Um, just put a piece of tape on either side of where I'm going to cut and cut through it that way. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I learned that trick from uh, Ken. Uh, I forget what his last name was. He he worked with Andy for a long time. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he told me to use a bandsaw. Uh, yeah. So that's what I what I use. I I always buy the eighteen inch wide, and I cut it into to three, so I have uh, three six inch wide pieces. And uh, yeah, the super glue I use super glue putting my layers together um, instead of using epoxy uh, for clamping them. Uh, it, cl- it goes a lot quicker. And, uh, and as long as you don't have any voids, as long as both the pieces are perfectly flat. Mm-hmm. It was phenomenal. Yep. If you get some voids in there, then you're going to have issues. Yeah. Luckily, I I got them all flat and everything. So, um, one thing I did learn that uh, if you are using super glue to glue up your handles like that, uh, use wax paper. Uh, I um, was like, well, uh, this epoxy that I'm using doesn't stick to these really nice uh, rockler <laughs> silicone mats that I bought that are like $35 a piece. Uh, well, that should work with super glue, right? And um, glued up a whole bunch. And uh, yeah, there's lots of pieces missing out of my really nice Rockler silicone uh, <laughs> glue up mat from the super glue adhering itself to my handle scales. And then uh, I got to uh, go back to the surface plate to reflatten all the the handle scales to work through all that silicone and super glue that yeah, was in, off all the little pieces of really expensive silica. Yeah, yeah, silicone. Yeah. So yeah, that was a that uh, yeah, that was a bad day. Come on, guys, learn from our mistakes. You don't need to make them on your own. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so. Phone book has two excellent purposes. I'll I'll let you talk about the first one. So yeah, I I got it or had all these phone books, and uh, I, it just dawned on me one day to uh, mix up my epoxy on the phone book. And um, when it when the epoxy dries, you just rip the page off. Bam! You got another one. Uh, helps save with some of the mixing trays and stuff like that. Um, so you don't have to. Uh, uh buy any of those so mix mix up your stuff on uh phone book paper and see i use the little the little shot size dixie cups to mix up epoxy in mm-hmm. but what my deal was if you make a lot of knives or you do a lot of sharpening knives you get um knife makers mange which is you have these bald spots all over your arms and if your wife is like my wife, she's not a big fan of that. Mm. What I have found is those really thin, almost tissue paper thick pages of a phone book. If your knife will slice that, it'll shave. So if, if, if you can slice a phone book page, it's razor sharp. 
any advantage to using a phone book page or a really thin piece of paper over just trying to shave the hair on your arm? It's as you draw the edge along that page, if there's any little imperfection on the edge, it'll catch on the page and you'll immediately know. Versus where if you're shaving the hair on your arms, it may just skip over that little spot and you you never know that you have that that little flaw in your edge. Yep. That's a good tip. I also, while I'm doing the cutting the edge, doing the edge testing with the phone book paper, uh, you could de- or definitely the the sound that the paper makes as it's going through too. You can you can hear uh, makes definitely a different tone when it's when it's super sharp or when it needs to have a little more stropping or something like that. Yeah, it, it's it, it's got that nice consistent kind of sing versus a tearing sound. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's an excellent point. Yep. Got to use all your senses when checking your blades. Except for touch. Really recommend not using touch. Yeah. I've never understood the people that uh, grab the blade, put an edge up, and then start running their blade or thumb parallel over the edge to test for the sharpness. Uh, I've just watched too many people slice their thumbs open with that. Um, one, of, one of my, one of my buddies, he, he goes, this knife isn't that sharp. I'm like, really? Cause I thought it was hell of a, sh- or a hell of a sharp knife. And he looks down and he goes, Holy cow. He's like sliced his thumb open, like pretty bad uh, because the the edge was so sharp. It didn't have like any, any nicks or anything in there. He just, he just slid right over it. He couldn't even feel anything people, uh, that he was used to feeling. People that do that is why I have a very strict, you bleed on it, you buy it policy. Yeah. Now I can see some people will use the edge of their thumb or a fingernail mm-hmm. and they'll run that along the blade. As long as all you're biting is the nail, then it help it can help you feel any imperfections. But if you're using the fleshy part, dude, you're going to bleed, and then that knife is going to be yours. So pick up a one you really, really want. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Either uh, pretty much if a knife is on a maker's table, the thing's going to probably be pretty sharp. Uh, yeah, with that's kind of kind of what we do. So. I, I don't understand why everybody needs to uh, to feel to feel the edge. Uh, because their great grandfather said the way that you test a knife is. Yeah, could be. So, so the uh, you've heard me reference the the non ferrous metal cutting blades there. So it's a carbide blade. It's actually it it looks like a wood cutting blade. It, it, it's got teeth, but it's designed. They make some that are for ferrous metals, and I haven't tested that yet. But the the one for non ferrous metals, um, I'll have to look at my notes. But I think I have had it in the shop for four and a half months, and it has finally started to dull from cutting my Carta and G10. Nice. Which, yeah. I, I got it off of Amazon. I think it was a $12 blade hmm. and I was running through the carbide wood cutting blades about one a week. Wow. So yeah, it, bang for the buck. If you're cutting G10 or micarta, it, it's the way to go. 
Nice. That's a good tip. All right. So we have uh, down in our uh, our chemical section, if if you don't know, you should know, uh, Dicom. Uh, it's an industrial bluing. They, it comes in all different colors. Uh, I prefer the blue. I think, are you, a, are you a blue color fan too there, Dan? Yeah, I use blue as well. Some guys use red, but I think... I think my scribe lines show up better on blue. Yeah, I think some people can just discern the colors a little bit better than others. But uh, I know, like Todd, he loves the the green and the red. Um, huh? Or I'm pretty sure those were the two colors. But yeah, they come in all. It comes in all sorts of different colors. A lot of the other colors, other than other than blue or red, they don't have them in like the spray spray cans or some of the the felt tip. Uh, bottles that uh the blue and red are uh you have to buy them in like a maybe 20 20 or 32 ounce bottle um and then move it over to your own bottle or a different bottle yourself but yeah dicom is definitely one of the things that that helps out tremendously in the knife shop yeah for doing layouts i think i buy it in the the half gallon volume and then use either a wool dauber or a uh, foam brush because mm-hmm. you know, I, I might I might go ahead and coat 15 bars of steel all at once so I'll clean them all with uh, uh, acetone get all the the oil and debris off of them and then paint them all mm-hmm. and then that gives me a, a flat blue background when I scribe out blade shapes yep yeah I always try to Whenever I buy a big batch of steel, I try to or just do them all at the same time. I, I prefer the the aerosol cans, or uh, I had really good luck with the fine mist uh, sprayer, hand pump sprayer. Um, but apparently that doesn't last more than about a year because I've I've gone through two of them. Uh, it was about a year, but when I guess the the dicom for the seals or whatever they're yeah aren't aren't quite as good uh for long-term use so uh i uh now that i have a heated garage i think that that was what was uh doing it with my my aerosol cans the, all the propellant was leaking out uh because of the the cold yeah and the seals would contract something it would just leak all out and then i just have a can full of of just Dicom, blue dicom. So, no propellant. Yeah. So uh use some of the, the spray cans again. Do you do you use the next one, the 3M spray adhesive? I do what I do, especially for flattening handles. I have a piece of granite that is flat to the third decimal point. Mm-hmm. And what I will do is I will clean it, get it absolutely clean, and then I take a piece of 80 grit sandpaper and I use a 3M spray adhesive and I'll spray that and then press it onto the, the, the granite block. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm doing multiple layer handles, um, that's what I use to make sure the two surfaces that I'm adhering are absolutely flat. Mm-hmm. Um, some guys I know will use a similar system and they'll use a magnet to hold a blade to sand flats and tangs. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer to to bolt down the handle and then use a, a flattened sanding bar uh, when I'm sanding my handles, but they've had, they've had really good results doing it both ways, but I just use it for handles. Yeah. 
I use uh, double-sided tape to hold my sandpaper down to my uh, granite plate. So uh, then I don't have to deal with all the, the adhesive residue. Do you have a problem with the tape causing um, an imperfection in your surface? I just don't sand all the way to the edge. So the oh. it, the tape is like three quarters of an inch wide. So I just don't, I just stay uh, away from the, the three quarter inch on the edges. I just put it all the way across the top and all the way across the bottom and okay. uh, have, I've had really good lucks with that. Yeah. You just work back and forth between those two borders. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't get 100% usage out of the, the sandpaper, but yeah, just uh 20 or 30 cents a piece i can i can kind of justify it you know if you annuitize that over 15 years you could have bought yourself dinner yeah but uh one of the other adhesives that i use i use it on my my disc uh grinder a bunch is the 3m makes this stuff called feathering adhesive and um it's a less tacky uh version of the spray adhesive uh comes in a tube um, so I put it on my disc. You have to let it dry, uh, or at least I've had the the best results kind of letting it dry, similar to like what you would do for uh rubber cement. You know, like contact cement. Or contact cement is is it not rubber cement? Um, I think rubber cement is contact cement, but not all contact cements are rubber cement. Oh, trade I must I, be a... I, I just huff them. I don't really know that much. <laughs> trade name or something but anyway the feathering adhesive allows you to uh pull uh your sandpaper on and off of the disc um i do it multiple times i probably get That's at least cool. at, at least 30 or probably more like 50 uh different paper uh sticks to it before i kind of have to like the adhesive is kind of pulled off uh the paper and I have to uh, acetone it down and reapply the feathering adhesive and let it dry again. You know, I may look at that for the the way I've been holding down sandpaper because I have to every time I switch the sandpaper using the 3M, I have to use acetone and and clean it all the way down. So the one thing about the feathering adhesive is um, it's kind of one of those things that um, if you let it. If you have the paper sit on there for a week or two, uh, it doesn't come off extremely easy. Uh, it's more of like a, once you start doing it, uh, it's good for like maybe a maybe a week in total. Uh, then it starts uh, once it's been on there. Once it's been stuck for more than a week, then it it kind of acts more like the spray adhesive. Gotcha. So, just FYI for that. I don't know how how often you change out your your uh, sandpaper on your granite plate. Um, on the day, uh, on the weeks that I'm working the way I should, uh, probably twice a day. Um, okay, I don't always have those weeks. So, what what grit do you usually put on there for for that? Um, I usually use eighty grit because I'm pretty being pretty aggressive. I'm just trying to make stuff perfectly flat not necessarily perfectly smooth hmm. that's exactly the same uh grid i use how about that i don't think we've ever talked about that so uh firebeard forge we had talked about it a little bit before uh he likes uh super glue um uh, 
he prefers the Starbond brand. I know uh, Andy Roy, uh, he's a big proponent of the Starbond. Uh, you can buy it in like big, 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 big containers, which is part of the reason why Andy likes it. You can buy it by like the half gallon. But uh, and they sell it on Amazon and it goes on on sale on Amazon fairly frequently. I forget what the website name is. One of the guys at work told me like there's like a Amazon price tracker and you can put any Amazon item in there and kind of look at its price history over the last like month or three months or six months or whatever and kind of get an idea of uh, when it might go on sale or whatever again. Hmm. But uh Firebeard Forge said he uses it to, to set guards on hidden tangs. Uh, and then one of the things I thought was pretty interesting was he said he glues his mosaic Damascus together with it. And then uh, then he TIG bolts it all together. And he said it holds oh. holds the pattern really well together while he uh, welds the welds all the edges together. So. Heck, I've been using Instabond, but the largest I think I get it in is eight or twelve ounces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I usually use the was it tight, tight something. Uh, I usually get it at Rockler because uh, I don't I don't use it nearly as quickly as because you're a good working nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I end up I end up being there anyway, and then. So the, they have these wonderful like uh, coupons that I get from time to time because they they say I am a, a VIP member. So it's like spend a hundred dollars get this much off, spend one hundred and fifty dollars get this much off, and inevitably I'm like at like a hundred and forty dollars. So then yeah. I just grab a tube of super glue and uh, that gets me to the next thing to to save even more money. <laughs> Saving so much money, I spent two hundred bucks. For my woodworking days, I have got so much Rockler and Woodcraft stuff in the shop. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I think my anti fatigue mats still say either Rockler or Woodcraft. I might have some of both at each workstation. Nice. Yeah, those anti fatigue mats are really, really uh, good stuff. I actually bought some of the three quarter inch uh, horse stall mat. Yep. That that's worked really good for me. Um, it's held up really well, and they were only like fifty bucks a piece for like a four by eight, uh, four foot by eight foot like piece. Uh, so they were, I thought they were pretty cheap for, especially since they weigh like half a ton each. Yeah, we probably ought to should have put put mats like that on the list because you young kids, you don't get it, but give it a little time. Your knees and your back standing on concrete all day will break you down. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to cover your whole shop floor with it. Just put it in front of your workstations and you'll hurt a whole lot less at the end of the day. I'd love to have it everywhere. I'd I'd just love to put it all over the entire floor. (laughs) Then you want, then I'd never have to worry about like tripping over that three quarter inch little ledge that it, always seem to catch my foot on that is the nice thing about the the purpose-built mats the the edges are rounded over yeah chamfer have those nice tapers on them yep yep all right the extra 75 bucks goes <laughs> nice you got any more adhesives or chemicals to talk about um well oh yeah actually i will um talk about so i used to clean my 
my tangs and my handles with acetone. And Nathan, the machinist, actually turned me on to this. He pointed out, he said, most of the acetone that you buy in your at the hardware store and stuff is recycled from the automotive industry. Hmm. And he said, take a piece of glass, wipe your acetone on it, and let it flash off. And then see if it's got a little bit of a rainbow pattern left over. If it does, that's that's oil and stuff. That's contaminants that were stuck in the acetone when it was recycled. And that is sitting between your tang and your handle. So I actually, for cleaning, epo- for cleaning up epoxy and that sort of thing, I use acetone. But for cleaning my handles and my tang before I glue up, I actually use uh, medical-grade rubbing alcohol. Hmm. The example being on that, you wipe it on a piece of glass and let it flash off and it's completely clear. There is no residue left behind. So acetone is good for rough cleaning, but before you do glue-ups, I clean with uh, with medical-grade uh, rubbing alcohol. Okay. That's like the 99% stuff that you see from time to time? Yeah. Um, before COVID? and. <laughs> I was about to say right now, this is a useless tip because you can't find it. But I used to get it for like $2 for a giant jug in the uh, the pharmacy section of the grocery store at a pharmacy. Hmm. Um, actually, nowadays, uh, if your state allows high-proof alcohol, golden grain is or um, Everclear, it's actually cheaper than rubbing alcohol, and it's 190 proof. It's as close to pure alcohol as it's humanly possible to get. Yeah. Yeah. They do make different grades of acetone also. Um, different, some brands, uh, there's a reason why it costs more than uh, the the cheaper stuff at the, the hardware store. Uh, so I know uh, at work, we actually, for putting on strain gauges and stuff, um, we actually buy some of the like 99.9% pure acetone stuff. Um, yeah. but it's also like forty, fifty dollars a gallon. So, yeah, and you're not going to find that at Lowe's. No, but I mean, you know, a little forethought, you can order it up and have it delivered directly to your door. But, um, or you can get yourself some golden grain, and you know, <laughs> you, could, you pour a little bit for you, a little bit for the tang, and work goes easier. Yeah, yeah. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that's a you know what total liability. Do not do that. You will cut a finger off. You will disembowel yourself. It's a horrible idea. Don't do yeah. that, kid. Yeah, the Knife Perspective podcast does not condone drinking while knife making, <laughs> and, and rightfully so because that's a that's an incredibly stupid thing to do that I I would hardly ever do. <laughs> uh, so uh, on to the tool section. Uh, Rob Pierce 71 said uh, clamps in general. Uh, he said uh, you, or, you never have enough clamps. Uh, and then I responded to him and said, uh, yeah, do you know how many clamps you need for the pro- for a project? One more than what you have. <laughs> yeah. So um, I use spring clamps and C clamps. And whenever either one goes on sale, I buy everything I can get. Yeah. So, uh, Craig Lockwood on, uh, the knife talk podcast, he, he calls them G clamps. Apparently that they call them G clamps over in Europe instead of C clamps. Hey, you know what else it does? 
Europe hasn't gone to the moon. Well, there's that, and they also say uh, aluminum wrong. They add, aluminum. yeah, they they add some letters in there. Yeah, uh, they also use that incredibly logical, very well thought out measuring system that has gotten no one to the moon or Mars. I'm just saying. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, so, uh, zombie Joe knives, uh, Dan talked about it a little bit earlier with, the uh, the spray adhesive, uh, granite countertop. You can get some really good deals, uh, fi- buying the little cutout for like sinks and stuff. Uh, lots of times granite countertop places, especially if they're not like a big attached to a big box store or something, it's like a, a more like local place. Uh, lots of times they'll just give them to you or sell it, sell them to you for like stupid cheap money. Yeah. They, the, Around here, I get it for scrap, so a couple of bucks for you know a twelve by twelve piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually lucked out and given a uh, nine by eleven uh, piece of uh, of actual a machinist block. Um, actually, I think it's nine by twelve. Actually, anyway, uh, but it's two inches thick, and it's uh, great for having exactly one piece of paper on there, so I can move it around to wherever I'm doing uh, my knife scales. So when I'm doing up a bunch of handles, I'll I'll have it next to the the two by seventy two grinder or the disc sander, uh, and then I can just throw it right onto the to the granite block and flatten it out uh, once I get it to the thickness I need. So, um. The one, two, three, two, four, five, six blocks I had not heard about. I, I had something similar when I was doing layouts when I was doing furniture making. But that was that's one that you you were telling me about. Yeah, so lots of people have heard of one, two, three blocks. So they're one inch by two inch by three inch. Uh, and they have like threaded holes and stuff in them. Uh, Vachon blade or Vachon underscore knives. Uh, put in this one um, and then i i've used the the two four six blocks i've got some of those uh i use those all the time on my drill press so i don't have to move my my table up and down so much when i'm uh, changing out and going through different drill bits because the the travel is always so long and when i'm uh, drilling out for like i use a three eighths lanyard tube a uh, lot bigger yeah. than what a lot of people use but i i think it looks cool but um you know you use a bigger pipe than other people that's nothing to be ashamed of <laughs> yeah so the the drill bit's longer so i can drop the uh just oh, turn longer also. i can just turn my my block over and uh get the drill bit in and um go to town i need to get a i actually didn't know it at the time but i actually bought a woodworking grade drill press and uh it's kind of kind of wearing out a little bit so yeah. but uh uh Vachon knives said uh one of the things i hadn't thought about is uh those one two three blocks actually some of the holes you can get threaded some of them are just through holes and i always knew about that but i never thought about putting a bolt through there and um using it as a, a vice uh so uh, oh, that's a good idea yeah and then i actually just remembered this um our uh, our one of one of the friends of the show chris williams of wilmot grinders he uh he actually sh- uh showed in his uh stories one time he actually did a similar thing to that but he clamped a he he didn't use the the screws in there he actually put a razor blade uh with the one two three blocks on each side 
uh, and then put it in his vice with some plates on either side. And uh, you have a, a abracadabra uh, two two inch belt splitter. So uh, you got one inch on each side and the plates and yeah. the blade in the center. And you just run it right through and you got two one inch belts. Um, I know quite a few people that, that like to split those down to one inch belts for I guess or a lot of the folder maker guys use uh, one inch wide uh, grinding wheels um, so they can get a little bit more use out of the center of the belt for kind of doing those sweeping plunge lines. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good trick with the one, two, three blocks. One of the things uh, Vachon knives also said was uh, he likes to spray some spray adhesive on uh, his one, two, three block and he'll actually stick, the block to a piece of sandpaper and use that as a sanding block um, to have a nice flat surface. But uh, I would assume you'd want to get some of the, like I know they make one, two, three blocks with like one hole in the center and even some one, two, three blocks that have no holes in them at all. I would assume you'd want to get one of the ones with no holes in it at all. Otherwise they would have a lot of unsupported space under yeah. the sandpaper. I'll use uh, scrap pieces of, micarta mm-hmm. and take it over to the piece of sandpaper that I glued to the the granite and just flatten it. And every couple of days I just flatten it back out on the, on that sandpaper. Hmm. Nice. Uh, OLC knives. Uh, he had a couple of them, uh, knife vice and calipers. Those are two, yeah. two invaluable things. I, have a, a really nice set of uh, dial six inch calipers that I love. Um, they weren't too terribly expensive. Uh, Fowler apparently makes like a, I think it was like a premium brand, um, which even the premium ones weren't too terribly expensive. I think when we got them, they were like 45 bucks. Um, but it's a, uh, yeah, Fowler brand calipers. I've had really good luck with them. I also have a pair of uh, digital Starrett. Um, calipers that I used when I worked at the machine shop. Uh, the digital ones are really nice for reading really quickly and you can go from standard to metric, but uh, I actually, for my knife shop, I actually prefer the dial calipers uh, because the battery's never freaking dead. So yeah. um, I, I actually have three sets. I've got a little three inch set that stays in the grind room. And I use that to help with symmetry on uh, grind lines. Okay. Because um, I can strike one side and then strike the other side, and it, it gives me a physical line to work to that keeps symmetry. Okay. And then at my workbench, I've got a, a dial set because, you know, it, if I'm working with um, imperial units, it, it's easier for me to visualize the – the fractions on a dial set. Mm-hmm. But when I'm laying out pinholes and I need precise centers, I, I use the digitals because I can change them to either thousandths of an inch or metric. And then when I'm working on a, a tens based unit, it's easier for me to do the math to find the center point. Gotcha. And then a knife vice. There's several different versions out there. But especially if you're doing contours on your handles, which you should be, a knife vise is a game changer on being able to work that handle. Yep. I I made made my own 
uh, super heavy one uh, that I actually use the the tube portion of my my Yoast vise. Uh, I have a, a Yoast 750DI bench vise, and it is uh, awesome. Uh, one of the better ones. Uh, that's one of the things you definitely want to uh, get onto that Amazon price tracker. And uh, occasionally that thing drops down to, I think, like a hundred bucks, a hundred and 20 bucks, something like that for this uh, big, huge piece of cast iron vice. Uh, it probably weighs 70 or 80 pounds, but yeah, it's uh, not made in us, but uh, it's still a really good vice. Definitely should check that one out. If you're in, if you need a, like a five inch wide work vice. I've got a, a award knife makers vice. Okay. And I like it. I have used it so long that I've actually got to reach out to them that I have stripped out a couple of the, uh, the male threaded pieces okay. um, from just cranking down on it so much, I guess. I've had it for four or five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just got to replace those parts because I have used the hell out of it. You're talking about those knobs? Yeah, it's... Um, it's like a hold down knob. So it's just a, a piece of mail threaded uh, rod stock with a handle on it. Mm-hmm. And because I work with between one sixteenth and one eighth inch stock you know, right in there, the, after a while, the, um, the flights on the threads start to, to give a little bit. Yeah. You might be able to check out your, or one of my favorite websites, McMaster car. I, I've, replaced a bunch of the the knobs and stuff on my machines with uh, stainless steel ones or or different stuff like that you know part i was actually looking at the way this was made and part of me is like you know i think i can put a grade eight female piece in and then use a grade eight male and then i'll die before that wears out yeah uh, but I didn't think about McMaster Car because I can get five or six from them and just stick them on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so uh, uh, Coulter Moulton on uh, Instagram is his name. Uh, he mentioned the Sanding Buddy. That's uh, something that I I helped develop with uh, one of my coworkers. We three uh, D printed these radius sticks. Uh, he he called it a lifesaver so um, but they have different radiuses so you can do them for hollow grinding or uh, s grinds i've done done a few s grinds and stuff and yeah it perfectly matches the the 36 inch radius platen that i have from bill binky if you're doing those grinds that will save a lot of time and a lot of frustration yeah you don't have to worry about uh, making your own stick or whatever yeah, just uh, put some. I use some double sided tape underneath there that's one inch wide. Uh, that our our stick is actually one inch wide. It just feels really good in your hand, and uh, it's down a little uh-huh. bit. So it keeps your fingers uh-huh. away from the the edge, and uh, works out great. So another one we talked about him in the the shout outs. Uh, Chad Kimmel of Summit underscore and underscore a C underscore Smithing. Um, the Nielsen disc system uh, is the same thing I have on my um, on my disc grinder. It's actually a magnetic chuck on there that you can swap out the discs. Uh, so if you aren't don't fully use 
up uh, one of the the grits, you can swap out to another one. Or uh, I'm planning on actually buying a couple more uh, plates uh, from them. To uh, I want to put some rubber on one of the pieces uh, so I have a little more uh, give for when I'm do- using the higher grits. I'd like to have some like 70 durometer uh, rubber on the disc. So like occasionally you won't put the the blade on exactly flat and it'll it'll put a nice little grind to like nobody's business uh really quickly into your blade so having a little bit of rubber would help cushion that a little bit more it's a good idea yeah so uh yeah that's a a great thing if you're looking for a disc grinder they're not cheap but uh uh now that i've got it uh i am a hundred percent uh in for it you drank the kool-aid oh yeah and it's not it's it was cherry too wasn't it it was it was the red not the yucky green yeah you can get a get a few plates in the the actual the hub thing for like 500 bucks so it's not like crazy money but it's still still a lot more money than what a lot of the other like uh disc plates are they're like like 100 bucks 150 bucks so one of the other things uh joseph edge tools uh mentioned uh i've actually seen these before and i never knew anybody that actually had them but uh this these burns model machines it's a thickness planer a disc grinder and a mini table saw is it like the old shop box all in one kind of setups no these are actually like uh three three different things but they're they're made for like making model airplanes or um different things like that so they're actually made for cutting like really small stuff um which kind of works out for like the thickness planer i think you can only do like four inches wide which works really well for a lot of the handle material that we we use for our um knives and stuff the disc grinder is like i think it's like four or five inches um and then the table saw i think it uses like a four or five inch uh, saw blade um so he said he he loves the the motors and stuff in them, and uh, they're all 110 volts, so you don't have to worry about uh, the power and stuff in your your shop. But yeah. uh, he said he really likes them. I, I I had looked at that thickness planer a few times for getting handle material thicknesses to the to the right thing uh, when I cut it. Now that I have a really good table saw, it was awesome the other day when I I put I put it to five sixteenths and. I think I was like four thousandths over uh, when I actually measured it off the table saw. Um, that's a complete game changer for for me. So it's super happy with that. It's not practical for most people. Um, yeah, I, I was doing furniture making before I got into woodworking, but it's expensive. But a really high end table saw solves a lot of problems. Yeah, one of the things I really like about the the fence on this saw stop one that I have, uh, it actually has like a little magnifying glass looking thing in the plastic. So when you're going over the numbers, it yeah. actually makes them even bigger than what they are. To so all of get the you tell the sixty fourth of an inch marks. Yeah. So another one that I had uh, is a hand vise. Uh, so it's a little bit different than like a knife vise or whatever. Uh, this is actually um, made. Uh, I know a lot of folder maker guys use them, um, but it actually 
has like a wing nut on it and uh, you can put the blade in there and like clamp on there. So then you'd actually have a handle to hold on to while you're grinding your folder mm. um, blade or something. I use it a lot for uh, grinding like little metal pieces that are hard to hold on to that heat up quickly um, that you aren't really worried about destroying the temper or whatever. Uh, not for like knife making stuff, but for like other little tabs or brackets or whatever you can clamp onto that go to town on the the grinder uh and not have to worry about your fingers burning yeah you know desensitizing your fingers is really the mark of professional knife maker yeah once you've done it enough so that you've either developed calluses or have burned out the nerve endings so you don't feel the heat anymore that that's really how you know you're a professional in this industry well, the thing about that too is, uh, if you don't do it like consistently, those things go away. There is that. Yeah, they, like the the calluses go away, and then you got to rebuild them. So, you know, one of my chefs was was down at the river, and we were cooking with a buddy of mine, and uh, one of us handed him a pot, and he immediately dropped the handle and started cussing. He's like. You know, metal workers and chefs, you just never take anything hot from them. Yep. I put down a cold scribe. Yep. Um, I have, you know, I, I've had a lot of tools that I used to sharpen. I even have done things like nails that I would harden. But for doing layout, you can get them for a couple of bucks, maybe 11 for a really nice one with a magnet at the end and that sort of thing. But something really hard with a fine edge for doing your layouts, you really can't beat it, especially if you're trying to get really clean precision across a run. Mm -hmm. You want to do 15 knives that are all the exact same shape. Having something really hard that lays out a really fine line is irreplaceable. Yep. Are you a person with the, the magnet at the end or do you like it without the magnet? I prefer it without the magnet. I know whether I know the ferret content of pretty much everything I'm working with. And that magnet just like I use a, a swing lamp over my uh, grinder to give me good lighting. Mm-hmm. And the magnet will stick to the, the shroud on the, uh, the swing lamp or the number of times that I've had something pull my scribe out of my apron because the magnet stuck to it. It, it just gets annoying. Yeah. As someone who doesn't uh, convert it over to an apron yet, I like the magnet on my workbench. I have like a a little light kind of overhang thing, and I actually just stick it up by the light, uh, and mm-hmm. then it hangs down. Uh, so it keeps it up off my workbench so it doesn't get lost, and I always know I have a couple of them stuck up there, so I always know where they are. Um, and then I've got a little... Uh, a little three-inch machinist square works kind of like a woodworker square. It's just a shrunk-down version, mm-hmm. uh, and that is really handy for tool setups and for laying out the the whole patterns on the tang of knives. Yeah, do you use that for like squaring up your work rest or anything when you're on your grinders too, or uh, that, or when I'm checking true on my uh, drills. Okay. Um, you know, like my big six or 12 inch woodworker squares, there's just not room to fit. So I'll either truck a, 
uh, a true rod in or I'll put a bit in. And then that, that smaller square is easier for me to check the, uh, how true the table is on my drill press. Okay. Um, also use it for my table saw. Yep. Got to always check to make sure that that uh, blade is staying perpendicular. Otherwise, you're going to have a whole mess of trouble. Yeah, um, especially if you're using it to do uh, bolsters, which, mm-hmm. again, that's one of the, the blessings and the curses of using a, a precision table saw is when everything's tuned, I can do uh, do bolsters on the table saw. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yep. So uh, to the air compressor, I have the um, Dragonfly Blade Works actually uh, told me about this. Uh, John, uh, Dragonfly Blade Works, he it's a California Air Tools uh, brand air compressor, but it's part of their uh, Ultra Quiet series. I got the yeah i got the 15 gallon tank one that uh sits horizontal and it fits like right under my workbench uh i don't have to like always keep my hearing protection on if i'm like blowing some stuff off uh when it kicks on it you can actually have a conversation standing right next to it and when people have been over at my house that are used to normal air compressors that are 90 95 decibels I I blow blow a whole bunch of the air out just to let them hear it kick on, and they're like, "It's really like that. That's it. It doesn't like get louder." I'm like, "Nope that that's how that's how loud it is. It, it really is that quiet." If I ever need more airflow, whenever I get a like a bead blaster or something, I'm just gonna get a second one uh, and put it right next to it. So, yeah, they're great. Yeah, I'm impressed with because they've got one in their little workroom next to the retail area, and you can hardly tell it's running. Okay, yeah, it's 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 surprisingly quiet, and they even have um, so they even make like medical grade ones for a lot of like the dentists and stuff for their air tools. A lot of those, a lot of people don't even know that a lot of those air compressors are actually sitting like inside that room with you. They actually have a uh, an enclosure built around them, and it's they're like 45 decibels or something. It's like basically, basically like hearing a, like a window AC unit. So, uh, check them out. All right. Um, as I peruse the notes, that looks like that's the show for tonight. This last one, the, the last miscellaneous. Oh yeah. Mystery. Yeah. So, uh, Kimmy, I think it's Kimmy's cutlery. Um, we're actually going to show this one, uh, that's definitely going to be one of the, the carousel of photos for this, uh, episode. Uh, he said, uh, these foam blocks. So he gets these like harder foam blocks and he actually sticks the blade, uh, point down into them and, uh, they keep, keep everything nice and organized. And he gets these like shipping boxes and it looks like there's like some eighth inch, uh, wood at that. These foam blocks are. Uh, stuck to and i've seen stuff like that but i can't remember anything that i've gotten with it um but uh yeah it's just uh some like polystyrene foam that uh he sticks in there so super handy that's a good idea that's all the all the things we had in there uh you got any any last little tips or tricks no that's it i've 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 given them the whole thing (laughs) 
<laughs> nice. Uh, so uh, you can keep in touch with the podcast, uh, knifeperspective.com. Uh, you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In Radio, and iHeartRadio. You can also uh, tell Alexa, play the Knife Perspective podcast, and it will uh, direct you to one of those two. Uh, you can keep in touch with Dan Eastland of Dogwood Custom Knives. And it's uh, dogwoodcustomknives.com and it's Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook, Instagram. You can keep in touch with me, Kyle of Cage Daily Knives and cagedailyknives.com and Cage Daily Knives on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I uh, hope everybody uh, found a lot of use out of some of these uh, smaller things that aren't quite as expensive as grinders or surface grinders or uh, buffers, drill presses and stuff. A lot of these small tools are, are great to have around. Yeah. We probably use these small tools as much as we use grinders and such. Yep. Definitely make things go a lot quicker. So that's, uh, I believe that's everything. Uh, thank you everybody for, for listening. We appreciate trying to get the, uh, word out about the podcast. Uh, want to mention once we get to 2000, uh, subscribe or followers on Instagram. We're going to try to draw from you guys and have one of you on the, on the podcast. So help us get there, help get the word out about the podcast and, uh, uh, please rate and review. Be able to get behind the scene looks at the magic that is the production of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll get Kyle. All righty. Thanks everybody. Well, let's take it to the edge. That's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk about.